You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome to a Monday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. I hope you're doing just as well as James Mesh's dance moves. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. The LSU Tigers winning their fourth straight to improve to 4-1. and one. The Houston Astros sitting at 104-55. and 55. And both the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and New Orleans Saints riding three-game losing streaks. 40%, not the best. Yeah. Two for five. Yeah. And then 25% for the Saints because you're one and three. Uh, that's not what I meant. I meant of the five of the five teams. Oh, only, only two won. <laughs> only two of them won. Two. Yeah, that's what yes, I meant. Okay. And don't put yeah. an expectation that I can dance. I can't. Don't even. Well, I mean, neither can I. So it's 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 okay. But anyways, yeah, two out of five. Um, it's not a vent session Monday. It's not a good Monday though. Um, the only reason that I I say that this is not a vent session Monday is because if you look at the Saints game. Yes, they lost. And yes... There was still a lot of bad. There was a lot of bad. But there was still some however, things that you could like take out. However, the good was incredibly encouraging. It was good to see the Saints' offense actually put up points. It was good to see that they were actually getting pressure. It was good to see the defense sacks. getting pressure and getting sacks. And a turnover! And Tyron Matthew out of Tyron, Tyron Matthew finally got an interception. Um, Still missed tackles. But. And I personally, I thought the offense flowed better under Andy Dalton. Now, let me preface that by saying I don't think Andy Dalton should be the long-term starting quarterback. I'm not saying, oh, bench Jameis. Andy Dalton's the guy. But no, while Jameis is nicked up, I think you're okay playing Andy Dalton. Especially when you get guys like Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas back. That's the thing people aren't realizing. We should have beaten a fully healthy Minnesota Vikings team without our top two weapons. Think about that for a second. You should have won the game. It took a double doink 61 yarder for you to lose. For, for you to lose. And three made up calls by the refs. I'm sorry. Illegal hands to the face when his hand's on the shoulder? Get out of here. Oh, let's call a defensive pass interference when Adam Thielen's grabbing a fistful of face mask. Come on. And look, I'm one of those guys that's going to sit there and I'm ne- I'm never the one to say the rest cost you the game. And I don't think the rest cost you the game yesterday. However, they did not help. No. They, God. They, they gave no favors. League, Except to the Vikings, the league hates the Saints. The, it just the the league, the league hates the Saints. I saw a meme. I saw a meme yesterday, and it was a, uh, it was an official like it was referee, and it said uh, personal foul, anything that doesn't help the Saints, uh, fifteen yard penalty and an automatic forfeit. 
that's like accurate. That's that's pretty spot on there. Uh, game hotline three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium thirty two point three and channel one thirty three on LUS Fiber. Poll question of the day: Which team are you more concerned with or most worried about? Saints, Cajuns, McNeese, other. So far, 50% of you say Saints, 43% of you say Cajuns, 7% say the McNeese Cowboys. We'll get into all of those games as well as the LSU Tigers today. At 4.30, Wilson Alexander joins us to discuss LSU and their four-game winning streak and their massive top 25 matchup this Saturday against the Volunteers of Tennessee. And at 5.30, Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joins us for a discussion around the world of college football. It was a wild, wild weekend. I think I read a statistic, James, that this weekend had the most top 25 matchups in like six years in a single Saturday. It was a great weekend. I didn't, I didn't realize that there it was like that many but I, I knew that there was quite a few because I yeah. remember we were going down the games. I'm like, there were top 25 matchups everywhere you looked. There's another one. It was and it, another. It one. was it was an impressive weekend of college football, no question about it. So we're gonna dive into all of that throughout today's show. We also have audio from LSU head coach Brian Kelly, Louisiana head coach Michael Desermo, and the Saints, who may be back from London by now. I would imagine that they're back from London by now. Especially that you got to get acclimated back to Central Standard Time. Um, look, you know, you look at the Saints again. I, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that the Saints played well because I don't think that they, that they did. However, Andy Dalton completed 75 percent of his passes for 236 yards, one touchdown, and here's the other thing. Here's the big thing for me. He took care of the football. He didn't force the issue. He took advantage of what the defense gave him. He took care of the football. Latavius Murray, I thought, had a great game. I thought he did exactly what the what the Saints were asking him to do. And then Chris Olave finally got in the end zone for the first time. So there's a lot of bright spots to take away. Uh, I think... I think the Saints defense did a good job of containing Dalvin Cook. I mean, he only averaged about three and a half yards of carry. I, th- I think that's pretty solid for a guy of Dalvin, Dalvin Cook's caliber. Um, a big issue for me, and, and James, I'll, you know, obviously you're going to have your opportunity to, to spiel your two cents. Uh, Justin Jefferson burned Marshawn Lattimore <laughs> all yeah, game long. And, and, I, and, I've, and I've mentioned this before, how – Marshawn, he's a really good corner. He's a he's an above average corner. He's like one of the he's I would probably say the best in the league whenever he plays a certain type of archetype of receiver. You know, the big body Mike Evans, Julio Jones, DK Metcalf to the world. When he plays a big body receiver, he's a top three corner, no question. Like that that's his style. But when he plays the little Olamide Zacchaeus, the Cole Beasleys, the Scotty Millers, the, He's getting the, burned. Like the the Justin Jeffersons, the the quick, shifty, fast receivers. 
he that is, are that are linky. He is getting burned. That every time. is his kryptonite, and the fact that you had you had Marshawn on him all game, and then Adam Thielen had a second year corner and Paulson Adebo when when he's a savvy vet who is crafty and is is kind of like a almost like a hard helmet type of receiver where like he'll do all the dirty work and he'll get down to the nitty gritty and make whatever catch he needs to do. It, it was just two tough matchups for two corners that this isn't those archetype of players that they're they're necessarily good against. And then let me let me address something. I, I said that Andy Dalton took care of the football. He did fumble. I and and he I wanted a fumble. And I wanted you to finish up your thought, but I I did want to get to that because. He also did be a little bit of a Jameis where he was holding on to the ball a little too long. It's like, dude, yep. the the clock in your head, it's got to go off. And at that point, it wasn't a huge 10-point swing, but you did have that was another 3 points and that was ultimately the the difference maker yep. right before half. Um you Mark- could have potentially made it 10-10 at half maybe, but you go into the half down 13-7. Thought Pete Warner had another great game. P- Pete is different. Pete, I thought Pete, Pete had has had an game. exceptional year so far. It just sucked that you see Justin Jefferson go line up out at running back, and then he does that little yeah, option out. Yeah, what, like, what are you what are you gonna do? What are you, you what are like, you gonna do? That was a great play call by Minnesota. They knew what matchup they had, and they executed on it. It was it was really it was good. great. Uh, I am not faulting the oh, Saints because, and I'm not faulting Pete on that. That's just really good execution yeah, they, by Justin and the whole. Vikings offensive staff. They they drew up a good play for that situation, and they they knew they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I you, you can't blame Pete for that. I mean, a a, a linebacker is never going to outmatch a wide receiver. Never gonna ha- not even Demario Davis would have stopped Justin Jefferson on that play. And then I and then I got my Taysom Hill touchdown. Yeah, but I thought, the rest I of the parlay Taysom, fell because the Saints lost. I thought Taysom had a good game. Um, you know the the limited interactions that he did have. And look, here's the big thing that people aren't talking about either because, you know, the Saints are 1-3 and three on a three-game losing streak. They're still only a game out of the division. You're only a game out of the division, which is, which is absolutely insane to think about considering, again, you're 1-3 and three on a three-game losing streak. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go to the hotline. Ralph, what's up? Hey, what's up, Matt? Um, yeah, so my thoughts on the Saints game, man, you know, look, it's a work in progress. There, there was some encouraging signs, you know. I mean, there's no way I thought we'd be one and three, you know, going into the season with the additions we made. But I also didn't think we'd have another mash unit of a of a season with injuries, you know. And uh, I, I don't know what what to say about that. But but I will say this much, you know, as much as you'd love to have Alvin Kamara out there, I thought Latavius Murray did a, a really nice job filling yeah. in and. That easily was the offensive line's best performance run blocking Agreed of the on, year. Agree on that you know, as well. I, you know, I, I think you know the thing that concerns. But no, number one, when we got ahead, which was look, when we got ahead twenty two nineteen, we had every opportunity to put it away, and the defense did their part, except for the referees, right? You know, so you know if they don't make that bogus call on Matthew. You know, we we get the ball back and. I, you know, at that point we had some rhythm gone with the with the game. You know, I know Dalton may have held on a a little long sometimes, but look, man, it, it you're right. It, it flowed. What you, what did you see that you didn't see with with Jameis so far? And, I'm, and look, I'm not I'm not an anti-Jameis guy at all. I want whoever's 
I was the Billy Joe guy back in the day. You know, if if you could, you know, you know, be, be successful. But we saw screen passes successfully executed, and we saw the tight end get involved in the game, and we haven't seen that, you know, with with, with Jameis. Um, so, look, the defense has kept us pretty much in every game. You know, um, uh, it's had, and, and and yesterday the pass rush finally got there, and I want to give props to because I'm as critical of him as anybody. Marcus Davenport, I thought, showed up yesterday uh, and played well. Pete Warner, I mean, if this guy isn't, yeah, if he doesn't make the Pro Bowl this year at the rate he's going, something's wrong because he is, he's dynamic. Yep. And, and um, you know, if we can clean up a few mistakes here and there, we still put ourselves in some holes with, with, with false starts and things like that. But, man, you've got so many different moving parts, it seems like, from week to week with this team that – you know, and I will say my one criticism, though, is, is I, I am not so far crazy about Pete Carmichael's play calling. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know, man. I watch other teams, I see creative plays, I, I see different things like the Jefferson one you were talking about, and it seems like we have guys that could do that. Um, but we seem just to be a, a classic three-step, five-step drop, and you know, but. Hey, look, it, it, it is what it is, uh, and anybody who blames that on Will Lutz is crazy because, I mean, you know, again, um, that's a, a prayer in the wind there. But, but And, look, let's be honest. If we go into overtime, there's no guarantee that we win the game in yeah, overtime. Yeah, we, we, right? we probably would have lost the coin toss and, oh yeah, you know, and, Vikings go down the and field and score. Well, yeah, and the referees would have given them – pass interference calls all the way down the field you know i just hope at some point the nfl looks at their their um not just officiating because this has been a problem for years i mean you can't but the rule the rules themselves on pass interference and the spot of the foul and all that stuff i mean it's, it gets to be ridiculous you know and, and um again i thought we were played scrappy um i'm still not sold on dennis allen exactly you know as a, as a head coach yet, as, as you shouldn't be <laughs> I think there's some fire missing on the sidelines uh, that I used to like to, to see from Sean from time to time. I think Deontay Hardy shouldn't have changed his name because as Deontay Harris, he was dynamic and, and outstanding. And, man, he, he looks – even when he didn't – I mean, the fumble was disastrous. But he's taking the ball out of the end zone at times he should, and he's not even getting back to the 25-yard line. We're at the, I'm at the point. Just, just let it go. You know, I mean, just give us the ball to 25. I'll be happy. You know, and uh, which is surprising because I mean, you know, again, he used to be such a dynamic weapon. But hopefully, we can find our, you know, we can uh, find our groove soon. And it, it is unfortunately a bad year for us to be struggling when the NFC South is so so gettable right now. And, and I, I sure hope we can turn it around. But um, We'll see what happens Sunday, man. But um, I don't know. Just wish for the best. And, and the only thing about Sunday is, boy, it's another face. I, it's certain coaches, you know, they just kind of turn your stomach when you see them on the sideline. And Pete Carroll does that to me. Oh, I can't stand that guy to watch him. He, he will work the rest. But we'll see what happens Sunday. Uh, enjoy the show, man. Uh, thanks for letting me vent. And, um, you know, go, uh, go Cajuns, uh, go Tigers, and – those things. Appreciate you, Ralph. Yeah, you know, Thanks, you, you you look at it, Pete Carmichael's play calling has been pretty vanilla 
but that's also, you know, kind of always been his style. Sean Payton was the one that added the flair every now and again. God, and we were talking about screens. The one time I had seen a screen at a certain point, it my, worked. My 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 TV kind of cut off, and oh. then I had a whole ordeal with yeah. my with my Wi-Fi. But the one time I saw the screen, it worked. It was just called back for a penalty. It was like, well, look, and then they just never did it again. You brought up penalties. Let's look at that. Saints had ten penalties for 102 yards. How many of those would you say were complete crap? Three, four. I'd of say them. three. I I can the, think of the three. holding on Tyron, the hands the, to the face, the hands to the face when on Tyron. There there was two different penalties on Tyron. What they called on Tyron Matthew was hands to the face. Okay, the the one where like he's just kind of like whatever. He was on the shoulder and, pad, and that and, and the receiver runs an outright. Right. Okay. Yeah, that one. It was like that's what the, everybody does. The DPI on uh, was was that Lattimore? They yeah they called the D- the, the Thielen play. Yeah, they called that one on Marshawn, but they also had called Adebo for holding that same yeah. play. There was also one earlier in, in either in that drive or the so previous even, drive. So even if we say four, you still committed six penalties. The and it's it's all it's it's the offensive penalties, right? It's the false starts. It's the dumb holdings. Because there was one or two holding calls that I like, dude, you can't do that. And it's always on third down. Always on third down. Or it's it's either always on third down or it's always on a it's on a second and long. It's safe where it makes to say, it impossible. It's safe to say that this team is undisciplined. And that's a coaching problem. The 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 more and more we go into the season, the more and more I am less convinced that Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen should have this job. Well, let's be let's be totally honest about one thing. Pete Carmichael didn't want the job that he is in. No, but he he is not doing a job to where he he it feels like he even wants to be there. I know well, I know he didn't want to, but it almost feels like he's kind of coaching and just being so vanilla and just like whatever. Let me just do just enough to where it's like I shouldn't be fired on the spot, but I'm also not doing enough to where it's like. I should be the I mean, long-time offensive and, and coordinator. One, one, on top of that, I've never thought that Den, that Pete Carmichael was, you know, good enough to be the offensive coordinator of any of any team. I think he's a great passing game coordinator. I think he's a great quarterbacks coach. But there, there's a big and all that responsibility is completely there's different. A, there's a big difference between passing game coordinator and running the entire offense. Um, so don't love that. Don't love the job that Dennis Allen has done through four games. Um, I think the team's too relaxed. I think they start way too slow on offense. And uh, they're just going to have to figure some things out. And they're going to have to figure it out quickly because the season's already a quarter of the way over. It's time to kill two birds with one stone. You can help a good cause and do some early holiday shopping. The Opelousas St. Landry Rotary Club auction will be held tomorrow on KDCG Channel 50.2, Cox 9, Charter 11, LUS 22. The auction begins at 6 p.m. and viewers can bid on a variety of items, including gift cards, vacation packages, sporting goods, home decor, memorabilia, and much more. All proceeds will go to worthy causes, and items can go for just pennies on the dollar. So make sure to tune in for the Opelousas St. Landry Rotary Club auction on Tuesday on KDCG. Take a time out, and when we return here on Monday's edition of Crunch Time, we will hear from head coach Dennis Allen on the 28-25 loss 
to the Minnesota Vikings in London. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 25 after the hour, crunch time on the game. Dennis Allen met with the media shortly after the game, the Saints' 28-25 to loss to the Minnesota Vikings. He touched on a multitude of topics from the turnovers to Will Lutz's last-second field goal, third-down defense, and more. Here is the head coach's opening statement. Yeah, frustrating way to end that game. Um, we had our chances. Thought our guys battled back in the second half. Thought we made too many mistakes in the first half, which put us behind. Um, but I thought our guys battled and competed. Uh, we still got to find a way not to um, hurt ourselves with penalties and, and, and the turnovers, and that's got to that's change. So we got to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> you, you do have to figure that out. Um, because, you know, battling and competing and showing grit and toughness is, is all great. You know, that's necessary components of a football team. But James, those qualities don't win you games. Execution wins you games. Staying discipline, being ahead yep. of the turnover battle, all, all things that they're losing. Again, having toughness and having grit and you know having good character—that's all important. But that's like saying, "Oh, well, you know, my basketball players—they they show up on time." Like, that's important, but does it win you games? Like, good for them, but it doesn't win you anything. Dennis Allen also talked about, you know, the the mindset of where was the cutoff for the chance at another field goal? Well, in that situation, we were we were in the position where we felt like we, we, we could make it. Um, you know, I think the field goal before was probably a little bit more discussion. Um, and look, I give credit to uh, Riz. He felt really good about um, Will knocking that thing through, and and uh, and so we kicked the field goal, and Will, you know, hit a beauty and and uh, knocked it through. Look, here's the thing, I, and I'm I'm speaking on the 61 yarder that hit the upright, then the crossbar, and then fell out. It was a great kick. It was. Had it gone. A foot more to the right or to the left, should I say. No, it had been the right. It goes in. No problem. So, I mean, it was a good kick. You just pushed it a foot too, too far to the left. Here, Here's my gripe. You, sh- you shouldn't have to rely on two 60-plus yard field goals to tie the game. I agree. But here's another thing. That play to down the left sideline to Chris Olave right before the two minute morning, why would you run a play there? I don't get that. That is poor time management right there because you could have avoided that whole debacle. You could have avoided that last Vikings drive that happened. Granted, you still could have had potential penalties that they would have just thrown on the Saints anyway. And but you wouldn't have to have worried about Will Let's making two sixty plus yard field goals. 
you were fine. I believe what was that was second down. You ran it. I think you were on second and eight. It wasn't a second and two. Yeah. But why are you was... taking a shot on second and long? Right. When you could just easily go to the two minute warning. You gave the Vikings an extra timeout with that. You, yep. if you make it, if you make the completed catch, cool. That that's cool. But to un, you have to understand that that is a very low percentage throw because I believe you were on the right hash and you throw to the left sideline. No other way around. Left hash, you threw to the right sideline. It wasn't on the right, right sideline. The Saints were going this way. They were going to your left dial, and it was down the left sideline. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. It, that yeah, is, he threw it across his body. That is not a high percentage throw by any means. If you want to try that, do that after the two-minute warning. Well, so... And you, that, that's and a, you that's incomplete a, the pass, and there was still time, so you ran the ball, and then it went to the two-minute that's warning. A, that's a three-part issue. It's bad time management by Dennis Allen. Bad play calling by Pete Michael, Pete Carmichael, and then it's poor execution by Andy Dalton. Yeah, it's it, it's bad on three parts. Uh, you, you can't blame that play on just one guy. Uh, but you know that brings up no. But what I'm saying is overall for the no, for sure, staff. for sure that brings up an interesting point. And it's not Saints related; it's Cajuns related. Um, James, I have a question for you. Oh, I love questions. Late in the game. Uh huh. 30-something seconds left. Mm-hmm. Game's tied. Mm-hmm. Second and 10, you force an incompletion. There's a holding penalty. Now, they're on their side of the 50. Keep that in mind. Uh-huh. You giving them a second and 20 or a third and 10? Second and 20. Thank you. I push them back even farther. Thank you. You can have an extra down, but you still have 30 seconds. Thank you. We're not 10 minutes left in. Thank you. That penalty was declined, and on third and ten, South Alabama gained twenty-seven yards. Now, I'm not saying had you accepted it and taken second and twenty that that would have worked out any better for you. No, but you would have pushed him ten yards further back. But so the the last second field goal could have potentially been a lot more difficult. Oh man, I don't know. But again, you know the, the Saints have to be better. I think they've got a. I think the schedule works out very well for them, playing Seattle this weekend. I mean, Seattle. We is, say that as is, as is playing, they is, as they just put up forty eight is playing better than people have expected them to, um, especially Geno Smith. Uh, Geno Smith looks like he could be a starting quarterback on any of the thirty two teams in the NFL right now. Geno Smith does not write back. Um, I don't get it. I don't know. Oh, week one. Remember, he was like, everybody oh. was writing him off. And he said, I didn't yeah, write yeah. back. Um, I think that game, though, is, is a good opportunity for the Saints to get a win. And then, contrary to popular belief, I think if the Saints defense plays well, the Bengals is a good opportunity to get a win. <laughs> and and you, can, you can get back right. Let's not, let's not look ahead. Let's not look ahead. You're one and three right now. Yeah, that's that's very true. You got to try and get to two and three before you try to get to five hundred. But one one thing that I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props that I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. 
perfect for tonight's game. A parlay that I'm making is Garoppolo and Stafford for tonight's Monday Night Football game to each have 200-plus passing yards, George Kittle to have an anytime touchdown, and then Cooper Cup to have at least 70 receiving yards. Same-game parlays are just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bets, and when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings fast. There's no feeling like nailing a same-game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is novel drawable free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Another thing you could add to that parlay is maybe a Tyler Higby touchdown. He's second on the team in targets, receptions, and receiving yards, but doesn't have a touchdown reception yet. So that's something that maybe could happen. But we're going to go ahead and take a timeout. And when we come back, we're going to have Tiger Talk with Wilson Alexander. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammer to left field. Going back. Taking a look. Is Holcomb. And it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals. With the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander joining us on a Monday afternoon. Wilson, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. How you doing? I'm doing well. LSU on a four-game winning streak. But here's the problem. Offensively, they didn't play very well Saturday night. No, they did not, especially in the passing game. LSU actually was running the ball fairly well. Uh, probably the best to really run the ball uh, this season early on, but uh, every the passing game was just completely ineffective. Um, dismal, really. I mean, LSU ended up throwing for 85 yards, only five in the second half. Obviously, they were able to get it done, played a much better defense uh, from really the middle of the second quarter through the end of the game, forcing some turnovers, even getting a defensive touchdown. Uh, but as Brian Kelly said today, the way LSU is playing right now offensively, particularly in the passing game, is not sustainable uh, as they move through the rest of the schedule. Yeah, you know, you touched on it, 85 passing yards, only five in the second half. Uh, the the crazy but true stat is that the Tigers won an SEC road game with only five passing yards in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you said it right there. It, it hasn't, I think, been – it's rare for that to happen. Um, LSU defensively also did a really good job in the second half. I mean, Robbie Ashford, who had thrown for 247 yards in the first half, only threw for 90 in the second half, only eight in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, so LSU was obviously able to do the things necessary to win. It ran the ball late. Uh, fairly effectively, especially on the go-ahead touchdown drive, and um, it made a bunch of defensive plays, but also got lucky with some Auburn mistakes and decisions that were peculiar. But um, yeah, it was they just did not throw the ball well at all. So before we get away from that statistic, I have to ask: from your perspective, was the 85 passing yards, you know, Auburn playing well on defense? Was it a lack of execution for LSU? A little bit of both? Usually these things are a combination or there's some kind of there's multiple factors. It's very rarely just all on, on one thing. And so sure, Auburn was playing some pretty tight coverage when LSU was trying to run short routes. Um, but at the same time, 
LSU, there was multiple issues that contributed to it. I mean, Jane Daniels was inaccurate, um, more so than he, you know, he hasn't been like a superb, you know, let the world on fire passer this year, but he had at least been able to complete short throws that kind of move, steadily moved the offense when the offense was clicking. That's what you were seeing. And those passes weren't being completed because he's a little bit inaccurate. Um, at the same time, LSU's receivers weren't helping him out very much. Um, you know, Mason Taylor had a couple drops. Even Malik Neighbors had a drop. Kayshawn had a drop. Brian Thomas had a drop. Uh, John Emery had a drop. I mean, there was plot, you know, passes, even if they were a little bit difficult to catch, that just hitting guys' hands and, and not being brought down, that would have at least made it, while not fantastic, a little bit better. Um, that stuff's got all, all got to get cleaned up. And Brian Kelly also said today that they're going to have to assess the play calling. You know, make sure they're calling plays that are repeatable and maybe not asking the guys to do too much. Um, they've got to really assess top to bottom this passing offense and they gotta do it in a hurry you know the old adage is that good teams win great teams find ways to win even when it's not pretty uh could lsu be on their way under brian kelly to becoming a great team eventually in year one we'll see you know lsu this is sort of you know the very beginning of a of a tenure and the beginning of a rebuild that was always going to take more than a season um, they are only just now going to play a ranked team, like a while the te- you know a team that was ranked while they were playing them against uh, you know Tennessee this weekend. They'll have three games against top ten teams over the next I guess five weeks or so. Um, you know, and, and and it could be more depending on what happens with Arkansas and Texas A and M. So you're going to find out. I mean, really heading into this week and the rest of the season, how good they can be in year one. And Brian Kelly has, has said, you know, that they've kind of gotten through on heart and determination and conditioning. And they've got to start executing better if they're going to be able to win those games. Scary moment to open the game Saturday night, Seven Banks being stretchered off the field. Uh, he did find out today that, you know, better news. I, I You could say good news depending when you look at the situation as a whole. Uh, a bruised spinal cord is going to be out five to six weeks. Um, you know, just kind of talk about that that moment in the game. It was frightening to see him laying motionless on the ground and and not moving for about eight minutes, I think, before they got him onto a stretcher and then got him car- you know carted off the field and taken to the hospital. Uh, especially after having seen what happened with Tua Tagovailoa and you know the Dolphins over the, over the last couple weeks. Um, sort of, you know, head injuries and were sort of, I think, maybe at the forefront of everyone's mind. And to see his uh, sort of his neck compress as he, you know, his head hit uh, the Auburn, you know, returner right there, it was frightening. Um, The stadium was incredibly quiet. Um, It was hard to imagine going and continuing to play a football game after that. Obviously, uh, that's what happened, and LSU won, and seven, uh, by all accounts, is going to be okay, which is just really just, Great, you know, thankful. I think everybody is just relieved uh, that that is the case because, I mean, it's sort of that reminder that football is a really physical and dangerous game, um, and it uh, it's it can be tough to watch sometimes when people. Luckily, this is not a gruesome injury, but when people like have them, and so uh, luckily, yeah, the, the full update on seven is that you know he was at he came back to the stadium. He was in a neck brace, but he was walking around. He was talking. He um, was able to fly back with the team. Um, and he'll be out five to six weeks, but you know he might actually return this season. Um, he's kind of got a similar situation as Major Burns. Brian Kelly said uh, with that spinal cord bruise um, that it's something they got to be you know, working back really slowly with. Um, but 
he, he you know he, he said it would probably be about five to six weeks, which could get him back you know sometime in November, which is really fortunate considering what it looked like right when it happened. Yeah, no question about it. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, joining us for Tiger Talk. You know the the comments of Coy Moore surfaced this week, and and people some people said that those were from earlier in the summer, but Coy Moore said that he was the best wide receiver in LSU's room, and and for him to throw an interception in this game on a gadget play, it's got to be beautiful karma, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I I saw the comments, of course, and I mean, I don't know how LSU's players took them. To me, it's sort of like, you know, you would probably want your LSU players to kind of say the same sort of stuff, you know, have that confidence. Um, clearly, Coy was, uh, to be frank, I mean, not the best receiver in LSU's room when you have guys like Kayshawn and Malik and all the others, um, but you know, I think you know. I think I think for LSU fans and for even some of those players uh, who were jawing with him a lot during the game, it was a satisfying moment because uh, not only was did he throw the interception, but it was him who Greg Brooks, you know, ripped the ball out of his hands on his interception to seal the game. And so it was sort of some some karma there. Yeah, you could say, or some you know, sort of some uh, interesting um, symmetry or whatever. Just the the fact that he, you know, that that had been like this sort of that talking point and. You know, it's court board material uh, during the week, and that both of those big plays he was involved in. Garrett Dellinger missed this past Saturday's game with a hand injury. Brian Kelly said today that he could return to practice this week. What do you think the likelihood is that he plays on Saturday against Tennessee? He's expected to play. ESPN's broadcast crew said during the game that, um, as as had already been, you know, we already heard from Brian Kelly uh, that you know Garrett had undergone surgery last week and had a plate and screws inserted in his hand. And then ESPN followed up you know, during the game after having been able to talk to Brian more about it you know, in their sort of pre-broadcast uh, meetings that it was kind of a precautionary thing from the doctors. They didn't want that to go and get infected. And so that's why kind of the reason he wasn't play, able to play against Tennessee. It's his left hand. We'll see what that looks like come game day, how much that's wrapped up. I'm sure it will be. And you might be, might be having to work with a club. But you know, he will, is expected to go and, and likely return to you know, that left guard starting spot. Uh, against Tennessee, which is a boost for the offensive line, which while it held up actually fairly well against Auburn, he's one of their best offensive linemen, and so it helps to have him there. Um, we'll just see how effective he's able to be if he ends up having you know some kind of wrap or club on his hand. Talk about the performance of guys like you know you talked about Greg Brooks getting that interception late in the game, B.J. Ojolari with two sacks, one of them being a strip sack. You know Jay Ward picking up that fumble and running it in for a touchdown. Just talk about the LSU defense and their performance Saturday night. Well, they've been really good since, really since the Mississippi State game, and they weren't bad against Florida State, but they were struggling to get off the field on third down. I mean, because he only gave up 24 points, and in 2022, that's pretty good. But they were struggling to get off the field on third down. There was communication issues, and then they, you know, Southern they played well, but that's an FCS team, and then they played remarkably well against Mississippi State. Then obviously shut out New Mexico, and then it was so kind of surprised to see them go down. You know kind of start giving up those big chunk pass plays and, and having the busted coverages um, that you hadn't really seen out of them this year. But what was impressive about it was that they were able to make the necessary adjustments to stop, to stop the bleeding. Um, you know, they are down there 17 to nothing. B.J. Ojolari comes up and makes a, a, you know, a huge play to, cause LSU was kind of dead in the water at that point. Offensively, obviously they didn't do much the rest of the game and they weren't doing much then. Uh, you know, he got them on the board. All of a sudden, it's just a ten-point game. That's a lot easier to look at instead of a seventeen-point game. And they continued to make plays. You know, the interception off Coy, um, Greg Brooks's pick, 
and really just shutting down Robbie Ashford. And even when he was getting outside the pocket, bringing him down and, and not allowing those big explosives as much. There was still a couple in the second half, but it was not uh, as much of a chronic issue. Uh, they were able to uh, control that game in the second half. Wrapping up with Wilson Alexander, you know, looking at this game with Tennessee on Saturday, you know, Cedric Tillman is is undoubtedly Tennessee's top wide receiver. He's been out for the last couple of weeks, had surgery on that injury limited today in practice they are hopeful that he could play on Saturday if he misses that game how can LSU take advantage of that scenario well it would certainly be helpful for LSU if if Cedric Tillman can come and he was one of the best excuse me um receivers and coming into the SEC this this year, I mean, you know, the guy who we talked to back at SEC Media Days, and I mean, you know, had over thousand yards last year. He was really productive and looked like he was, you know, he's probably their best, you know, receiver. And, and so, like you said, he had surgery last week trying to speed up his recovery. He was able to move around a little bit today. Uh, the thing about it is, is Tennessee still has a dynamic passing game. I mean, this is a team that it leads the Southeastern Conference, leads the country um, in passing yards per game at 365. You know, they won that Florida game, and he wasn't playing in it. And so clearly they have enough guys um, on the offensive side to make up for the loss. Um, but it does, you know, I mean, in terms of the personnel, you know, it's one less guy that LSU would have to worry about if he doesn't play. And, and somebody who's particularly dynamic. I mean, you can you can see offenses when they start to lose those playmakers. What happens to them? I mean, think about Alabama. You know, last year in the, in the national championship game, didn't have his two best receivers, and it was, you know, he, the further down on the roster, they weren't able to recreate that production. So it would, um, you know, you never want to see a guy injured, but it would help LSU if he didn't play. But at the same time, this is still a dynamic passing offense that can't be taken lightly. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, joining us for Tiger Talk each and every Monday. Wilson, appreciate the time as always. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good one. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wrapping up hour number one of crunch time on this Monday afternoon. Some fun little stats from the NFL so far. I mean, our guy Chuck Wood, his Detroit Lions, they've scored the most points in the NFL this season with 140. So they're averaging 35 points a game, Matt, yet they're one in three. It's crazy to think. Well, you know, I was I was watching I can't remember which sports network I was watching this morning. And they were talking about this exact thing, about how the Detroit Lions are scoring points in bunches. However, they're not good. And the quote that I heard was that if the Lions had a bad defense, they, they could be 3-1. Three three one. One. Yeah. And then it's there's another thing. it Kind of trending out in Chicago is word around is that Justin Field is not happy with the team and it's being speculated no. that is that he may not stay there very long. You wouldn't say. I know it's crazy. And then you know another thing. Also, oh, are, are you are you going where I'm going? I was looking at Kenny Galladay. Okay, well no, you're not going where I'm going. Zach Wilson has more receiving touchdowns in his New York career than Kenny Galladay. Oh, they hit the Philly special and the gritty. By the way, speaking of Kenny's, uh, there's a breaking news story that. Kenny Pickett is expected to become the starter in Pittsburgh. Oh, darn. Mitch didn't work out? I love how Mitch threw, what was it, like one or two interceptions in 
three and a half games played. Mitch wasn't while, good enough. While Kenny Pickett throws three interceptions and it's like he's the hero. Like I, I just, I just find that funny. I get it. The like he was more inspiring, and you needed a spark. You should have, you should have gone with Kenny Pickett week one. You don't, yeah, but you know the danger of throwing a rookie out I, there. I understand, but in today's NFL, the way you don't draft a QB in the first round, and he sits the bench. Well, you're not, you're not having him sit the bench for years. You're just having him sit until it's like, okay, you've gotten a few weeks to like see what the NFL is like. You got you got some you got playing time in the preseason. We're not going to just throw you out to the wolves week one. Like you see, what's the success rate of throwing a rookie quarterback out there? Oh, it's week not one? high. Okay, so it's smart that the Steelers waited a few weeks until they finally did it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Our number one in the books. Our number two. We're going to talk about the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns and their defeat to South Alabama on Saturday. We'll have audio from Michael Desermo and Brian Kelly. And you will hear from Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're back after this top-of-the-hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two on a Monday. Crunch Time, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 502 on your Monday afternoon. In hour number one, we looked at the Saints game. We talked a little bit about LSU with our guy Wilson Alexander. We'll do more of that here shortly. We'll touch on the Cajuns as well as they fell 20 to 17 to South Alabama. And then we'll talk to our guy Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. If you want to get in on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3 and channel 133 on LUS fiber let's update the poll question quickly which team are you most worried about and so far 38 percent of you say the saints 55 percent of you say the cajuns three percent say mcneese got two comments one from ton i'm not worried about mcneese because we knew what this season would be i'm not worried about the cajuns because we knew what leadership changes would bring I'm worried about the Saints because even with a coaching change, they shouldn't be this horrible. Ah, ah. I mean, yes, they have a talented roster up and down, but you've seen Dennis Allen's coaching record. You know how bad they are and how bad he's been as a head coach. I I never really a hundred percent agreed with the hire of Dennis Allen to begin with. You know, I, I never thought that he he never struck me as a guy that would, you know, bring the Saints where they needed to be. And I think that they made that hire because it was easy. He was in house, quick painless, continue the culture of Sean Payton. And that hasn't worked. Through four games, that certainly hasn't worked. Um and then Jamie Green says, I don't have a dog in the fight, but there are concerns with all three. Saints are pedonic. Cajuns look lost half the game. McNeese can get a pass because a lot of these guys 
only played together in the spring, and it will take a while to solidify themselves and coaches' philosophy. Jamie's not wrong about the Cajuns. They look lost half of the game. I mean, look. let's look at Saturday. James, you look at the scoring summary for the, the Cajuns and, and South Alabama. Eric Gare has that punt return at the 7.53 mark of the first quarter. You don't put up points again until the 7.43 mark of the fourth. What? I mean, you looked like a lost puppy for three and a half quarters. It's deja vu of the New Orleans Saints. I go to the Cajuns game on Saturday. Now, granted, this Sunday with the Saints was a little bit different because the offense put up more production than it has. But go back to the, the last two games against Carolina and against Tampa. And even against Atlanta. Cajuns look lost for three quarters. Three and a half quarters. And then, you know, last seven minutes of the game, hey, let's play some football and make a comeback. What did the Saints do for three weeks? Look lost for three, three and a half quarters, explode in the fourth, and the first Sunday of the season, they got lucky and won the game. That's not a winning recipe. Football is a four-quarter game, not seven minutes. You're not going to win the game only producing and executing your offense for seven minutes. You're just not. Unless you're Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and you put up 21 points in seven minutes, you're not that team. You're just not. Um, So, obviously, both the Saints and the Cajuns Gonna have to figure some things out. Uh, the Cajuns have a long time to do it. They've got 11 days between now and their next game. Well, now from today to their next game is nine days, but they've got some time to uh, to figure that out. But let's go to the LSU Tigers once again. Uh, Brian Kelly met with the media after their game against Auburn and talked about their 21 to 17 win. Here is his opening statement. Well, an exciting win for our guys, certainly. Um, coming back from a 17-0 deficit on the road um, is not where you want to be, but we found a way. Um, It's been the DNA of this group um, to battle, uh, to fight, and uh, they certainly did that tonight. Uh, They found a way to win. And look, at the end of the day, there's a saying in golf, there's no pictures on the scorecard. Um, <laughs> there's just what you score. And, and tonight, there's no pictures on the scoreboard for us. Um, we just found a way to win this game. And, and that's, that's really what you're trying to do in the SEC West. It's, it's tough competition going on the road. It's a tough crowd that you have to overcome. Um, was that our best performance? Uh, I hope not. Um, but it was gutty, it was gritty, and it was um, one that I'm proud of uh, our guys and the way they hung in there down 17 nothing. So um, we can, yeah, as I told our guys, that's a culture win, that's a program win, um, where you're doing things the right way uh, to win a game like that. 
Yeah, I mean, no question about it. You know, LSU did a lot of things right, especially in that second half, to, to come out with the win. But again, you know, for the first five games of the season, LSU's defense has carried this team. And uh, here's Brian Kelly on what they did well on defense Saturday night. You know, I thought we got really good play from um, our backers. They, they were very, very active. Uh, we tackled well. We didn't tackle quite as well at, at, at the safety position, but we made timely plays and timely stops. And, and when they got in, in a scoring zone, uh, we really tightened down and, and made big plays, uh, whether it be a tackle for a loss or force – you know, force them into making something happen and being on body and, and, and making a play. So I think it was a combination of uh, being really active with our backers um, and, and putting them behind the chains. And once we did that, um, you know, we forced them to do some things in the passing game that they, they just don't want to do. LSU improves to 4-1 and one on the year, and they will once again host Tennessee in a top 25 matchup. Now, you know, you got to go back a little ways to the last time Tennessee came to Death Valley, but uh, it was a good one, to, to say the least. LSU was ranked 10th in the country, uh, and Tennessee had a 14-10 lead in the final moments of the game. LSU was out of timeouts, clock ticking. They get the ball down to the two-yard line. They get the snap off with three seconds left, and it was a bad snap that went over Jordan Jefferson's head. And Tennessee celebrated like they won the game. But come to find out, there was a flag on the play for too many men on the field because Tennessee had 13 players lined up on defense. So LSU got the ball half the distance to the goal and an untimed down, and LSU scored on the next play to win the game. So... Definitely a dramatic ending the the last time the Vols were in Baton Rouge. Uh, could we see something similar? Maybe. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see, but that game's at eleven AM on Saturday pregame show with Hunt Palmer and Marlon Favorite at nine. And Chris Blair will take over the call at eleven right here on the game. But no, going back to the, the Cajuns. James, we haven't talked about the Cajuns much today so far. But again, you know, you go three quarters without putting up any points. And then you you erupt for 10 unanswered to, to make it a tied game with 42 seconds left. The question becomes, did you leave them too much time? I mean, you gave South Alabama the ball back with 42 seconds left. Did you give them... Did you leave them too much time? But it also goes back to that penalty on that hold on that offensive holding penalty. Because it's like, look, yep. you do you get an extra down back and you have another opportunity with that, but doesn't change the time. Yep. To me, you have to push them back as far as you can. If they shoot themselves in the foot, they would you rather three give them three downs to get twenty yards? Or two downs to get ten. Right. To me, if it comes down to that and it's a tie ball game, you got to push them back as far as you well, can. Well, and it's also the the timing thing, right? Because yeah, they had three plays, but they only had forty two seconds. That's what I'm saying. And at that point, you really only had about thirty. So, they probably would have ended up running out of time. 
couple positives I will take away from this Cajuns game. Um, number one, you, you really held Carter Bradley in check. Uh, Bradley went 18 of 41 for 245 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown, and he had an interception. Uh, so he did a good job of controlling Carter Bradley. You did a pretty decent job of controlling LaDamian Webb as well. He had 75 yards on 22 carries. You also did really well in the run game yourself. Yeah, you did. You did. Chris Smith Chris Smith was in, incredible. Um, you know, you look at it, 12 carries, 107 yards. His longest was 55, but even if you take that 55-yard run away, take it away, 11 carries for 52 yards. That's still four and a half yards a carry. That's still a good stat line. And then Ben did good running. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just as a team, overall, they they did really well. Now, Chandler Fields did have to leave the game around halftime uh, because of that shoulder injury. Um, he was banged up in practice all week. Didn't bother him in practice, according to head coach Michael Desermo, and just got to the point during the game where he got hit a couple times, throwing the ball more than he was in practice, and he just didn't feel like he could go. So uh, Ben Woolrich took the reins in the second half, thought he did pretty well, uh, 18 of 29, 90 yards. He had a touchdown and an interception. Uh, he did lead that final 17-play, 82-yard drive to put the Cajuns in the end zone to tie the game. Um, the defense, I mean, the defense was phenomenal again. The that's That's been the story. The Cajuns' defense has played well throughout the season, and the offense just hasn't quite done enough to to get the job done. And you look at it, the Cajuns are so I'm going to spit out some uh some facts here about their record. Cajuns are now 2 and 3. 0 and 2 in the Sunbelt Conference. You were on a 3-game losing streak for the first time since 2017, 2018, excuse me. Billy Napier's first year you lost 3 straight. Um you have a legitimate losing record. I say legitimate because, you know, last year, James, you look at the Cajuns, they started the season 0-1. Mm-hmm. I don't count that as a losing record. Technically, yes, you have more losses. Say, if but, we're you, technically, but you only yeah. played one game. I'm not counting that. A legitimate losing record, you have played multiple games, and you have more losses than wins. First time that that has happened since 2018 as well. Now, here's the stat that's disturbing. The Cajuns dropped their first two conference games for the first time since 2005. It has been 17 years since the Cajuns started 0-2 in the Sun Belt. What concerns me about that is that this schedule doesn't get easier. Because if you look at it, next you go to Marshall which some people have called the toughest place to play in the Sunbelt Conference. Then you come home to play Arkansas State. You go to Southern Miss. You come home to play Troy and Georgia Southern five days later. And then you go to Florida State, and then you close at Texas State. Here's the other issue. Conference record? You're last in the Sunbelt. Not just the Sunbelt West. The Sunbelt. You're last. You're not last in overall. Georgia State's one and four. 
But conference record, you're dead last. That's concerning. Going from conference champ to dead last in 10 months. Uh, so definitely something to watch out for as the Cajuns really get into the meat of their of their schedule here over the next couple of weeks. Um, they Once again, they will play Marshall next Wednesday in Huntington, West Virginia. A pair of divisional rivals will face off to wrap up week four of the NFL season. The San Francisco 49ers will host the Los Angeles Rams on Monday Night Football, and you can listen to the game right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 7, and that's Monday Night Football right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a time out. When we return, you'll hear from head coach Michael Desermo of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns on their loss to South Alabama. We'll do that next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time on a Monday, 521. Let's go to the hotline now. John's been waiting for a minute. John, what's going on, buddy? Hey, just wanted to talk about the game Saturday. Um, how's Chris Smith doing? I saw him kind of pull up lame in the fourth quarter against USA Saturday. And also, I think that was the best game for the Cajuns offensively, especially offensive line, considering we lost about five starters between draft transfers to Florida and just players getting injured in, spring, in the spring drills. I think they're doing better than... Everybody expected against South Alabama. I was just wanted to get your point of view. Yeah, I mean, I thought the offensive line played played well. You know, like you said, considering you lost four starters from last year, you lost two players that were supposed to step into those roles. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that was their best performance as a total offense. I think I think that came in the second half against Eastern Michigan. Um, but no. Looking at the game against South Alabama, I think the offense played. I think the offense played about what you would expect um, against the defense of South Alabama's caliber. Uh, Chris Smith injury update: Coach Des didn't really offer too much. Uh, it was pretty obvious that it was a hamstring injury um, for, from the way he pulled up and, and went off the field. But uh, he he didn't offer any insight. Said they were getting further evaluated, and that the bye week was coming at a right at the right time. Well, if I predicted wrong, I figured we'd probably go about eight and four this year. But I'm thinking more line, maybe six and six, seven and five, maybe. Yep. I'm just hoping that we can continue playing well. I mean, look, I can tell everybody Napier's first year. He didn't do all that great. He went seven and seven. He's got to give this armor a chance. He's inheriting a very inexperienced experienced group. Defensively, no, but offensively, we got new players all across the board, and it hurts when you lose your top two running backs, your top cornerback, your top two line, to your top linemen, and you lose Levi Lewis. I mean, you got to give the man a break. I think he's going to be a good coach. You just got to give him time. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you. 
So uh, a couple of things there. You know, he touched on losing your, your top two running backs. Statistically, you didn't. Statistically, you lost number two and number three. Chris Smith was your leading rusher from a yard standpoint a year ago. Um, Levi Lewis, no question. Tough loss to, to overcome for, for the Cajuns. But then you look at it, you know, you can't really compare Michael Desermo's first year and Billy Napier's first year anymore. Because, yeah, you know, Billy Napier didn't do well. You went 7-7. Seven and seven. You also, but in that 7-7 seven and seven season, you won the division and appeared in the first ever Sun Belt Conference Championship game. Starting 0-2 with both losses coming in the Western Division, you have no shot of controlling your own destiny. You have to hope that somebody slips up and then you take care of your business from there. But if nobody, if South Alabama or even ULM or, or whoever, Troy, if they don't slip up and end up with two losses in the Western Division, you're done. From a from a conference championship standpoint, you're done. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. I'm not going to like this phone call. Jacob, what's up, bud? How's it going, Matt? Uh, you know, I'd be better if I wouldn't have lost by 30 last night. Yeah, man. Not, not weekend tape week turned out well for me. Yeah, I was going to comment on um, what the previous caller said, but uh, it sounded like you pretty much covered it. You know, I, I think part of my expectation, I knew that we weren't going to put up 13 wins again or or even have an 11 win season again. My expectation was more around that 8 or 9 win mark that uh, – I also had the expectation of us continuing to dominate the Western Division, and uh, that hasn't started out too well for us. You know, I would have loved. You know, we're the only team in the Sun Belt Conference to appear in the Sun Belt Conference Championship game every year of its existence. I wanted to keep that streak going, and unfortunately, as you said, um, we we're not in a position to control our own destiny to get to that spot. Um, but as the previous caller said, you know, I'm, I'm going to support Coach Des. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cajun supporter through and through, through ups and downs. I will never root against a coach to succeed, um, ever. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll play some more exciting football after this 10-day break. Uh, I also am a, what is it, a, um, an alumna of a team that is exciting to watch. Who's that, Matt? The Kansas Jayhawks, who were 5-0 and and ranked in the top 25. Make it make sense. Let's go. Rock chalk. That's all I got. I, I took the dub in fantasy. I'm no longer uh, winless. But you still are, Matt. Thanks for That's the call. Thanks for go the call, Kansas. Jacob. Rock chalk. This guy, yeah, make make that make sense. Kansas is five and zero and in the top twenty five for the first time in thirteen years. In foosball, makes no sense. We're, when did we end up in the matrix? Because that's the only explanation for this. Their first place in the Big Twelve. 
it, oh man, it, it just it doesn't make sense. But again, you know, you you look at you look at the Cajuns. They're not dominating the West like they have. At this rate, they're not going to make the conference championship game. And you know, you you're, you're really, really and truly, if you look at the next seven games on the schedule, I think I think you're fortunate to go six and six. I mean, honestly, you play Marshall, who has had some bad losses, but they've also had some really good wins, including, I don't know, Notre Dame? And then, like I said, Arkansas State, is a they're not very good, but it's a rivalry game. You can never, you know, you can never count them out. You've also got Florida State, Troy, Georgia Southern, Southern Miss. I mean, this schedule doesn't get any easier for the Cajuns. Let's go back to the hotline. Max is calling in. Max, what you got? So my comment's going to be about LSU, but real quick on the Cajuns. My biggest problem is you want to show heart at the end of the game and try and fight with the other team, but yet you won't fight on the field during the game. Had a big problem with that. They really showed themselves. LSU, I have a problem with the way Kelly's running part of the team. And what I mean by that is I really don't care about Butte, he seems to have his own internal issues, crying about getting the ball. And then if you remember the Florida State game, two passes in the end zone would have been touchdowns for him if he simply catched the ball. So he's half his own problem. My biggest issue I have so far with, with Kelly Bryan is you have Jack Besh on the team. That guy is the best tight end I've ever seen at LSU. And all of a sudden this year, you got Taylor getting every pass over Besh. Besh is hardly ever even on the field besides punt returns now. And for the life of me, help me make that sense. Help that make sense to me. Because Jack Besh isn't playing the tight end role. Uh, did we forget last year he was like the best player on the team? But he was playing more of a hybrid role last year. Brian Kelly wants to play him as a wide receiver. Well, it ain't working. Either Jade, either uh, Jaden ain't seeing them, or they're, they're just they, that they they figure that out. It'll open up so much more for them because Taylor can't catch the ball either. And then you know one one more thing before I let you go, Max. What when you talked about the Cajuns wanting to to fight the other team? What are you referring to? At the end of the game, whenever they uh, all come together. You know, and say their little, hey, good games. I'm a police officer. I work on the field. Cajuns tried to fight with USA at the end of the game all the way up the tunnel. So if, if you want to play like that, then play it during the game, not afterwards when you've already lost. No, I mean, that, that's fair. Appreciate the call. All right. The, the reference point to that is uh, after the game, South Alabama players were, were stomping on the Cajuns logo. And Cajun's players obviously took offense to that. Now, granted, I I'm not advocating for for a post game fight, but you know, South Alabama did some questionable things as well. Um, so so that could be played one that could be played two ways. Um, but again, you know, the the Cajuns they're going to have to figure it out. And they've got they've got time to do so. We we talked about the ten day break between now and next Wednesday, um, so so they're gonna have to figure it out. And 
you know, really look, look in the mirror and figure out what they need to do in order to end this losing streak and get back to, you know, where they need to be as a program. So, uh, and then, you know, LSU talked about the poor effort from the passing game. Yeah, I mean, Jack Besh does need to get more involved. There, there's no question about that. But again, you know, unless you move him to tight end, which I'm not saying I'm against, unless you move him to tight end, there's just no room. I mean, Kayshawn Booty, Malik Neighbors, Dre Jenkins, Brian Thomas, Kyron Lacey, Chris Hilton. I mean, there, there's just there's just no room. Um, so it, it's just it's one of those things where un- unless Brian Kelly decides to put him at tight end and play him over Mason Taylor, I don't see where you know you're going to be able to put him in. But but with Mason Taylor. He actually stays next to the tackle. He's actually next to the tackle, am I, or am I wrong? No, Mason Taylor lines up as a tight end. That's what I'm saying. And and I've always found the whole fascination with Jack Besh being a quote-unquote tight end weird to me because it's like the closest he's ever been to lining up near where a tight end usually is he lines is, up in the slot. Is, is the slot. And it's like, well, in, in last year, if you look at it – the announcers would always say tight end, but if you look at like every well, single website ever, he's a wide receiver. Because last he's year, six foot two, because fifteen two twenty. Because last year he played that hybrid. He never really lined up as a tight end. But, but that's my thing is he he's not was, even a, he's not even a tight end. He never lined up as a real right. tight end. So I'm like I don't get the point of calling him a tight end. It makes no sense to me. You're lining up lining him up out wide, and in the slot. Right. That's not that's not what you do with a with a tight end. But I do, I do and agree, and he doesn't have the measurables of a tight end either. I, I do agree with the caller that you, you do need to get Jack Besh more involved. In I the completely offense. agree. I rarely see him on the field. I see Brian Thomas. That's understandable. I see Malik Neighbors. That's understandable. I see Jeray and Kayshawn. It's understandable. But I mean, you can't put him in a in a normal tight end role, right? So something's got to give. And I mean, unfortunately, right now, uh, they're just not getting Jack on the field enough. No, I, I agree. The game wants you to face your worst nightmares by hooking you up with tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country, the 13th Gate. Just text the word GATE to 337-283-8100 to enter to win a pair of general admission passes. Once again, that's GATE to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this holiday season at the 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Also, if you want to win a pair of VIP passes... Go enter in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com for two VIP passes to the 13th Gate, also courtesy of Midnight Productions and the Game. We'll take a time out when we return. Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joins us to recap the weekend that was in college football right here on the Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
The Houston Astros begin their final regular season series as they host the Philadelphia Phillies. Lance McCullers Jr. will take the bump for the Strohs. First pitch is set for 7-10, and you can listen to all the action on our sister station, News Talk 98.5. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 40 minutes after the hour here on Crunch Time. We are joined by Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. Brendan, what's going on, bud? How are you? What's going on? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, Doing well. Crazy weekend in in college football, and and the game that I want to start with is, is a game that I don't really know how many people watched. Uh, it was Friday night, West for uh, Washington and UCLA. I mean, UCLA jumped out to a forty to sixteen lead, and then Washington scores sixteen points in the fourth quarter to try to come back forty to thirty two final, and. Uh, you know, DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson is a uh, is a special athlete, no question. Yeah, for sure. I was super impressed with him, and he he had a couple moves that just blew my mind. Like when he cut right uh, right for the end zone there at the, and he made two defenders just slam right into each other. So DTR is heck of an athlete. To me, this spread was kind of weird going in. Uh, I think Washington was served by like two and a half. I mean, maybe we we put too much stock into that Michigan State win now that Michigan State's not so good anymore. So I think UCLA is definitely a team to be reckoned with in the uh, in the Pac-12. Jake Bobo is a guy to watch out for. I mean, he's a real problem for uh, opposing Pac-12 defenses. So I was really impressed with the UCLA win. And they got a tough schedule coming up. They got Utah, who we know is a good team. They got a really good defense. And they play at Oregon as well. So we'll know a lot about UCLA here in these next couple weeks. And then, you know, you get into Saturday, and there were just a couple of, of head-scratchers. And, and one that was really a head-scratcher to me was Georgia having to score 14 points in the fourth quarter to beat Missouri? Yeah, that was kind of a shocker to me. I was not expecting Missouri to kind of keep it close there. But it just goes to show how tough it is to win on the road in college football. Not just the SEC, but all of college football. I mean, Missouri played their A game. I mean... They should have won against Auburn last week. That game went to overtime. They should have won that. I mean, come back home, play Georgia. They played them real tough. I don't know how they could have really played better outside of maybe limiting the penalties, but they didn't turn the ball over once against a really good Georgia defense. So I I thought Missouri played their A game and Georgia played their D game, but Georgia still came out with a win. And I always say elite teams find a way to win when they're playing – their worst game or when they're playing a bad game and Georgia did that then another game I was looking at from the weekend I saw you you know touch on it on your social media Clemson you know really just taking care of business against NC State and uh you know you're a big believer in DJU I am I mean I wasn't last year obviously he threw I think like 10 touchdowns and 11 picks but he's significantly improved this year uh, I think last year through this point, he threw like an even amount of touchdowns and interceptions, but now he's thrown 11 touchdowns on the season and only one interception. And he's completing the ball nearly 10% better than he was through five games last season. So DJU has improved so much uh, through the offseason and into this season. So I knew kind of everyone had a feeling quarterback play was going to improve, whether it be DJU or Cape Klubnick at Clemson, but how much – I think DJU significantly improved. I think Clemson, they can make a run at the playoff because they've gotten through their toughest two-game stretch here with Wake Forest and NC State. 
toughest game left, maybe Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame, but all those games are winnable. So I really like Clemson to run the table. Now looking at the Oklahoma-TCU game, now look, TCU's a good team. Max Duggan's a great quarterback, as he showed you know, on Saturday. But my, my issue here with, with Oklahoma is for a team that is coached by who before this year was one of the top defensive coordinators in America, they gave up 55 points. Yeah, I mean, not only 55 points, but they gave up like almost 700 yards. So it was kind of shocking to see that from a Brent Venables defense. But you got to remember, it's going to take Oklahoma some time. They've been in, uh, their identity has been on the offensive side of the football for a number of years past under Lincoln Riley. So it's going to take some time to kind of make that transition. I mean, bumping the roads, not a huge deal in year one. Obviously, we, I mean, they should be able to rebound pretty soon. But Big 12 is the gauntlet this year. There's no easy one in the Big 12. Kansas is, I mean, they're ranked now. They're not a walkover anymore. And West Virginia, despite them being at the bottom of the conference, that's still a good team. And Oklahoma, I believe, has to go to Morgantown. So, I mean, it was shocking to see that from a Brent Venables defense. I'm not totally surprised because, I mean, Max Duggan, like you said, he's, he's a really good quarterback. I mean, the Sunny Dykes offense has been a success at TCU. Chat with Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. You know, LSU getting a big win over Auburn. You know, Auburn's not the, the team that – you know, many people thought they might be under Brian Harson, but again, you know, LSU found themselves down seventeen to nothing early. Didn't throw the ball well at any point in the game. As a team, they had eighty-five passing yards, uh, but you ripped off twenty-one straight points to win the game. Uh, talk, talk about the performance by the Tigers this weekend. Yeah, this to me wasn't a matter of LSU winning this game. It was Auburn losing it in typical Auburn fashion. Four turnovers, like you said, they outgained LSU four hundred and thirty-eight yards. 70 and they had Auburn had 337 passing yards LSU at 85 and I mean Auburn's quarterback Robbie Ashford he had a really good game I think he threw for like 330 some yards a couple touchdowns and maybe a pick in there but to me this is more Auburn losing the game based on the turnovers that they didn't even score a point in the second half that to me is just inexcusable especially at home you're up 17 nothing you have to close out that game I still think LSU is a really good team I like what they have with uh, Jane Daniels. Obviously, he wasn't great on uh, on Saturday, but I think he'll rebound nicely. They got a big test, though, against Tennessee. Tennessee's got a really good offense. I mean, Anthony Richardson, another dual threat kind of quarterback, had a lot of success against that Tennessee defense. I'm interested to see how uh, Jaden Daniels does against Tennessee. Yeah, you know, one, one more thought before we look ahead to next week, or, or this coming weekend, should I say, Kansas being 5-0 and and ranked for the first time since 2009. Brendan, when did we enter the Matrix? I have no idea. I think the world's going to be ending tomorrow. I, I don't know what's happening, to be honest. And the killer of, of what's going on with Kansas is they've been able to win in multiple ways. Like They've, they've been able to score 50-plus points. They scored 50-plus points against West Virginia and won in overtime. They, I mean, they play good defense, too. They held Iowa State to 11 points. They won 14-11 to on Saturday. Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, not Jaden, Jalen, uh, key separation there. I mean, he didn't even throw for 100 yards. He went 7 for 14 on Saturday. So the offense really struggled, but the defense stepped up. They had five total sacks against Iowa State. I know Cyclones had a few missed field goals, but they've been able to win in multiple ways, which is huge. And they didn't play their A game. Like I said with Georgia, 
the best teams find a way to win when they're not playing their A game, and Kansas did that. Looking ahead at a couple games this weekend, you touched on Tennessee LSU, 11 o'clock here in Baton Rouge. Hendon Hooker, one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC, could very well be without his top target in Cedric Tillman. You know, on paper, who do you like in this matchup? I like Tennessee. I know they're favored by like two and a half, which is kind of a wonky spread to me. I thought it'd be a little bit more, but it's always tough to go into Death Valley and and win a football game. I think Vegas is kind of looking at it like Anthony Richardson had success, and he kind of has a similar play style to to Jaden Daniels of LSU. So I think Vegas is kind of looking at that and saying, hey, this game might be a little bit closer than what a lot of people expect. I still think Tennessee is going to win the game and cover, but I do think it's going to be a a single-digit type game. I think it'll be a little bit bit more high-scoring, maybe a 35-28 type game in favor of Tennessee. A big matchup in the Big 12, TCU in Kansas, in Lawrence. Kansas, again, you know, 5-0 and ranked. You got a good TCU team coming in. TCU's a seven-point favorite. Are you taking the Jayhawks? Yeah, I have no idea which way this game's going to go because you look at one side, TCU has a really good offense. They have a solid defense as well. I mean, they held Oklahoma to 24 points. Kansas also, same situation there. To me, these are two very similar teams. I think I would lean towards TCU in this. They have more talented roster, but not by a whole lot. And They're favored by seven. I think this is going to be way closer than that. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think this game will be in the 30s. If I were to give you a score right now, I'd say 38-35 TCU, but I could see this game going in any way. And lastly, who wins the battle of Jimbo versus Nick Saban? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be saving. I mean, Jimbo has just been struggling offensively. He looks like he has like 20 sheets of paper on the sideline trying to figure out what play to call, and it's all just vanilla ice cream. I mean, it's so plain. He's got to get an OC, in my opinion. I mean, something needs to change on offense because, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and that's what Jimbo's doing right now. I don't think A&M has the offensive firepower to stay with Alabama I like Alabama big in this game, especially after what they just did to Arkansas. So I like the Tide. Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joining us. Brendan, appreciate you as always, man. We'll talk again soon. Yep, nice talking to you again. Anytime. There he goes, Brendan Moore. Take a time out. Wrap up today's show after this right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Attention sports fans, your favorite sports book, BetUS.com, is back for its 28th year of NFL action. With the industry's biggest sign-up bonus of up to 200%, BetUS offers their members the opportunity to cash in on all your favorite leagues, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, and more. Also, hundreds of new casino games, including the coolest European slots, and our live dealers waiting for you at the tables. You need a sportsbook with integrity, you need a sportsbook with longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sportsbook that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, all kinds of crazy bets, and yes, even politics. Call today at 1-800-79-BET-US. That's 1-800-79-BET-US, and they will walk you through setting up an account. Nobody in the industry gives better bonuses than BET-US. 
Join now and mention KLWB to get up to 200% in bonuses on your first deposit. Just head to BetUS.com to join today. That's BetUS, where the game begins. Yeah, I was perusing through the, the BetUS website today, um, and, and I noticed there was a politics tab. And sure enough, you can you can vote on, on political issues and political elections. I was going to say, if you want to take the over on Vladimir Putin... Yeah, <laughs> staying in office. The, 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 the odds of Vladimir Putin coming out of office here in 2022 is like plus 450. So, you know, you're feeling good about those odds that he loses his spot in the next two months. I mean, go for it. And, you know, all, all you. That's going to do it for today's edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. want to thank Wilson Alexander of The Advocate for joining us, recapping LSU's win over Auburn. Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network as well, talking all things college football thank you to the callers for james mesh i'm Matt miguez reminding you to be safe be well hug your mom and them and we will be back tomorrow for to the moon tuesdays and we'll also talk some more college football right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros monday night football coming up next